Hello and welcome to Scan Talk by GS1 Ireland, the stories, the people and the standards transforming our daily lives. Today on the show, I'm joined by food consultant James Burke. So welcome to the show, James. Hi, and it's good to be here. Thanks a million. Uh, I'm sure many of our food members will have heard of you as you're quite well known in the food industry in Ireland. But for anyone that doesn't know, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you're involved with food in Ireland? Yeah, my original background at this stage goes back many, many decades, I suppose. Uh, I'm originally from West Cork, Bantry, and at 13 or 14, I started working in the local super value and loved it, it really enjoyed it when you were allowed to work at 13 or 14, that is. Um, so much so that when I had done my leaving, I went off and I did years uh, retail management. Uh, that was what is now TU Dublin. And at the end of that, um, Superquin in Blackrock, that famous retailer, food retailer, Superquin, of course, which is also no longer now. Um, uh, they were opening in Blackrock. And I started, I think it was 1983, in Blackrock. When you went to Superquin, you went in at the bottom and you served your time in Butcher, Baker, Candlestick, Maker. And uh, to cut a long story short, I would have spent the first decade at operations level within that company, uh, store manager. I became store manager relatively quickly, managed several stores, and from there went to the head office, uh, became group purchasing manager and ended up on the board of Superquin. Now, for people that don't remember Superquin or don't know Superquin, it was a small retailer, 22 shops. So by Irish standards, it was OK, but by global standards, it was tiny. Yet every week we had at least one retailer from around the world coming to look at what Superquin were doing. So you were as an employee there uh, and as a board member, you were really encouraged to be an entrepreneur as if it was your own business. And I suppose the two areas of highlight were fresh foods and customer service. And there was just mm. a lot of different stuff. Uh, and still many of the legacies you see to this day in the market. So that was the, the 20 years there. And the company was sold uh, at that stage. And I decided, look, I'll freelance for a year. I'll move on. And uh, the opportunity was there to do that. So that was 17 years ago. So uh, it has turned into a business in its own right. And we're fortunate in that we have been working with the likes of uh, Bordia, local enterprise offices, Enterprise Ireland. And in turn, you know, over the decades, thousands uh, of food producers at all stages on their journey. So sometimes we meet the groups of, of, of pre-startups who want to start those that are established and want to grow, those that have grown, but they might be supplying retail and want to supply into food service, which makes for an interesting day and a very interesting week every week because you meet so many interesting and smart people who are building uh, new businesses. We've also been involved in some pretty innovative projects uh, like the Digital School of Food. That's a free online resource that's made available by the local enterprise offices and uh, it's there for producers uh, or want to be producers thinking about setting up uh, to get on and freely access self-learning all of the information. So that was that was a major project, and it's it's the I think it's the biggest e-learning platform uh, in Europe for food. Um, it's it's sizable. There's 20 hours of material, a video, and all of that. So we, we get to get involved in all sorts of exciting things, and then we have a lot of private food clients as well. Um, and as an aside, then from working with individual companies, we would also we've been lucky enough to be involved in the research and writing 
of food strategies um, mm. for many of the counties or the regions. So uh, with okay. Joe Boyle Valley, we're back in Donegal at the moment, having written the original strategy nine years ago, and we're reviewing their food coast strategy uh, at the moment. So that, that becomes terribly interesting because every county and region is different. And I suppose the, the, we're seeing a lot more kind of very grounded food initiatives now, you know, where local food and local restaurant tables are, you know, really important and really interesting for people, tourists and locals alike. For sure. So you, you started off at a very young age, 13, 14, made your way all the way up the ranks in Super Queen, which, of course, is super well known in Ireland as being, you know, the the very famous Fergal Quinn, of course, um, having such an influence on that and learning so much there. So you're now working in, in the consulting uh, side of things the last 17 years. And it sounds like helping businesses at all stages of development from startups right up. And then, of yeah. course, working with big organizations like Board B and something. So it sounds like a really exciting role. And an exciting yeah, time and to be part that's a good, food. a good potted summary. I think that you've done in those uh, couple of sentences there that represents, I suppose, what the what the the the, the, the job is. And I suppose the <clears throat> the advantage because we meet so many businesses of all different scales and sizes that mm. you know I learn every day. I learn as much, hopefully, as the clients learn. But there's a bit of a, of a kind of an encyclopedia thing that goes on that you kind of, you don't know what you know until somebody asks you a question and say, well, actually, I do know quite a lot on this topic, uh, sometimes more than I think, um, because we're exposed to so many different businesses and sector. And food is very dynamic, whether it's at a farmer's market or supplying a cafe restaurant or a retailer. And of course, the newer territory there now is, is online. Um, and and people selling directly is a big thing. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure has come to the forefront with, you know, the last two years with COVID and everything, the whole kind of way people are selling um, has had to change, particularly in food. Yeah. And, and I suppose one of the things that happened, uh, and probably ironically, you know, probably around exactly this time two years ago, you put up your web shop, local enterprise office would have helped you with their trading online voucher grant, uh, which is still available, 50% of the cost of the website. Um, so lots of people would have put up their web shop. And quite honestly, if you put up a website once it looked half good, you would probably be doing a thousand euro instantly. Mm. Build it and they will come. Unfortunately, that is not the situation today. There is a, a correction going on in the market because what happened was there were two bumper years, but as the market place opened up and customers became distracted and suddenly there's you know 50 or 100 euro gone and dinner out 80 euro gone and concert tickets we all this competition this new competition now and distractions has meant that the market is correcting itself online and the guy or girl producer that was doing the thousand euro is probably now doing 100 to 200 wow. unless Unless, and this is where the new opportunity is, unless they understand the very technical and formula-driven nature of having a website. There's a lot of under-the-bonnet stuff. It's no longer good enough just to have a pretty website with great products on it. Mm. 
have to be doing the abandoned carts and you have to be doing the automated marketing. You know, for a food producer, <clears throat> that can be a little daunting. And and it's like anything else, you know, if you didn't know how to drive a car yesterday and you sit in, it seems like the worst thing in the world. Um, but, you know, having done your, your lessons and your courses and uh, spent some time, um, I, I, I had an amazing story from a producer uh, recently uh, in the food and food beverage sector who is doing now, uh, gone through that period, is doing a couple of million on their online yeah. shop. And so it is possible. Um, yeah, but, incredible. But, 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 but listening to that producer, it was it is clear that they had not alone lifted the bonnet up and had a look underneath, but they had totally embraced that running, that engine running of, of a website, which is more of a technical skill set um, and, and, and driving traffic. Now, the biggest single thing actually to do with the online uh, is gathering data. So if, if we went on to three different websites now uh, for food, and the first one, um, you go on and you look around and nothing happens. The second one, you go on and there's a pop-up box and it says sign up for the newsletter. And you say, okay, they have some inclination that the customer's email address with permission is important. But you go on to the third one and it says you get 15% off your first order. Um, you know that that latter company gets the critical importance mm. of gathering customer email addresses with permission, of course, because now you're talking to your own customers. And while social media is excellent, and you should always be doing that to attract attention, um, talking, if, if I've shopped on a website, and if that website get to me ahead of the next occasion, so we'll say it's something that's it's seasonal and stuff. So they get to me ahead of Easter, they get to me ahead of Mother's Day, Christmas Day, and say, James, look, you know, here's our latest offer. The likelihood is I'll go back there. But if they don't get in touch, I'll become distracted or... You know, I'll be, I, it'll be, it'll be Sunday morning of Mother's Day and I'll be running to the local <laughs> corner shop. So uh, it's that type of, uh, you know, that, that's where the secret, the main secret to the web shops is really is building a very, very strong and then stimulating with permission and complying with GDPR, but all doable. And it, those kind of skills, those technical skills, digital skills, SEO and all that, is that something that's covered in the digital school of food that you mentioned earlier? Well, interesting you ask that because Digital School of Food is now there three years uh, at uh, being uh, active and there's a review going on at the moment. And that's one of the topics that's been identified that will need to go in as the next set of learning. So it's not there currently, but that's due to go in. And things like food trucks, uh, while there were food trucks three years ago, the the uh, interest levels in setting up a food truck. So we're, we're, we're updating and building new material for that. Uh, as uh, as part of, of the current review. I believe you can't even get a horse box or a van secondhand in Ireland anymore. Exactly. There's the horses so many are... uh, food trucks and coffee trucks and all sorts of stuff. Well, horses um, will be walking to the races for the lack yes. of horse boxes. <laughs> um, what kind of challenges are you seeing? You know, you, you, you said there that you're working with businesses at all stages of development. So from startup right up to scaling and then the larger, you know, more established uh, food businesses. What are the kind of common challenges that people are coming to you that you hear again and again from food? This, this changes a lot. And mm. at the moment, it's rising cost base 
is the okay. big issue for people. And there are a plethora of things. It's rising cost base and not lack of availability of certain ingredients yeah. or packaging or all of those type things. Yeah. So just to put that in context, large client uh, in the food business has a, an energy bill uh, because of the way that that's their business is done. They have an energy bill of a quarter of a million a year, right? So that's big in itself. Yeah. Wouldn't like to have that for your own home. Um, they will have potentially for the next 12 months a 1.2 million bill for electricity. That's wow. how bad and how serious. And, and to try and recover that at the front end, they ask the consumer to pay that, you know, is tricky. Mm. Um, so, so that's coming across in all aspects of the food sectors at the moment in terms of uh, costs, packaging, packaging availability. It could take you eight weeks now if you ordered some print you know, boxes yeah. or something like that. You could be told you might have to work, wait eight weeks or maybe longer. So these are new and these are, are dramatic mm. for some businesses. Uh, and it depends on the, the category. And it's not just electricity, it's raw materials. And it's shortages in, in some cases. Uh, you know, labor uh, is the other one that yeah. comes up constantly. I, I spoke to somebody recently and they were saying that they're, they've, this is a larger company, they have 120 staff, but they're constantly short 15. And the decision every week is what lines do they have to leave their retailers short in order to, right. to make sure there's 100% of all the other ones out there. So this is becoming probably the most challenging it's been in the last decade. There are always challenges. There are always issues. Um, but, you know, it is, it is serious. And, and my take on it will be that I think we, the businesses need to adapt to this because I don't think the fixes are going to be fast. Mm. Uh, even if war issues and stuff are fixed, I think there's going to be legacy to reverse out of a lot of this. Um, so I think what the advice we're giving businesses is that whatever they do and whatever steps they put into place, they need to be looking at the next 24 months, really, of having to live with these type of pressures. It's all doable and nobody should be put off and it isn't doom and gloom. But it's, it's certainly there are new challenges that are out there. And uh, I suppose I, I did a session with a client there during the week and, and he was taking me through all of the different headings in his costs, uh, in his accounts, and was making some decisions to say, well, actually, that's a luxury. We, we, sh- we should be doing it, but we can't do it. And trying to make those sacrifices in order to, uh, to some degree, to buffer, or, or he wasn't going to be making the profit, to, to buffer uh, what's happening at the moment. So tricky. tricky. Particularly tricky in food because the margins are so tight yeah. in the food industry, like compared to other you know other industries so those rising costs are going to hit food producers yeah and and i suppose look we we saw this very publicly before in if you remember when the the brexit vote came not Mm. not even brexit itself but the brexit vote and there was a kind of a shock reaction and currency went the sterling and the euro went completely out of kilter over 24 hours and and the mushroom industry in particular suffered badly at that point. And there was a couple of businesses were lost. And that was because the margins were so tight that if the if the currency moved a couple of percent, that's all it would have taken to wipe their profits out. Um, and, and I suppose that is, that's a good live case study to say, yes, margins are tight. And unfortunately, with food and beverage producers, 
you know, once that cost base starts to rise, they, they very often don't have the discretion to absorb it and say, well, look, we'll, we'll grin and bear it for six months and we'll see what happens. Uh, many, many companies now are, are in the queue to, to get those price increases. Tricky, very tricky. So you, you think maybe like looking at your costs, identifying anything that might be luxury and then looking at the 24 or the, did you say a year or two years into the future? Well, two, two years, I would think that, that it'll take to reverse this uh, in, in terms of even if everything righted itself today, there, there, it has now caused so many problems that are going to take us like turning that big ship you know, it's going to take uh, quite a while, not alone in terms of cutting costs and stuff like that. But I'm seeing businesses as well that are re-looking at the way they are doing things. Is there another way? Is there a smarter way that they can produce their great product without changing the integrity of it? You know, in some cases that might involve a, a bit of money. You might say, well, actually, look, we're going to invest in a bit of automation here because we can't get the staff to do it and it will help us to produce uh, in a more efficient way. So that I'm seeing a lot of as well. Well, while that sounds counterintuitive, uh, some companies have no choice but to spend money to save money. Of course. And are you hearing much about kind of sustainability trends? Because that's obviously been a big thing in all industries, particularly in food is sustainability. And we know from, uh, you know, another webinar that we did that, you know, during COVID sustainability kind of went on the back burner because people were more concerned about, you know, supply chain, just getting the food onto shelves and, you know, uh, hygiene and all of that kind of stuff. So it slightly took a back burner with all these rising costs. Are people still concerned about sustainability? I, I think I, I think that we're not that is one that's not going to change. It might lessen in its impact and come back up again. Yeah. But I think everybody, everybody from the kids in the school right throughout society realize that uh, this is a must do. And and customers seem to be voting with their feet uh, in mm-hmm. terms of and, and their and their euro. So while while there might be some issues in kind of recessionary times uh, or tighter times. Uh, I, 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 there's no question now and any new producers coming to market you see them very tuned in to packaging and compostable and recyclable and all of that and in some cases the packaging industry is behind where the consumer is at uh, you know many examples of producers wanting to have X or Y and just it's not ready or, or it's not fit for purpose mm. just yet and, and for some consumers it's probably confusing as well there's home compostable and commercially compostable. So you have all of these add-ons uh, that are that are part of the confusion as well. So it's, it's definitely something that's still there and still needs to be... Yeah, in my, in my view and what I see, it's absolutely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's going on with retail at the moment, in your opinion? Things are changing rapidly. You know, you've mentioned a lot of businesses getting online and selling direct to consumers. Where does retail fit into the food industry at the moment? Um, I think retail has been through a, a very busy and bumper two years. Um, with everything else closed, people flocked to their retail. They either bought online or they uh, went and shopped and, you know, the sales were absolutely buoyant in that area. I think we're seeing um, a kind of a polarization for retailers doing different things, their own strategies, 
to attract uh, consumers. And, you know, some retailers adding, you know, quite a, quite a dimension, the likes of Dunn's, you know, building that, uh, you know, great delis and bakeries and all of those kind of craft retailers. They're not in every shop uh, in, in selected shops, but certainly making a statement to say there's a part of the market there that maybe is not being looked after. They're going after that. The speciality retailers, you know, I see now uh, uh, Donnybrook Fair product range in many super values. There's a shop within the shop with the Donnybrook Fair, uh, more Hampton Foods range within that. Um, so we're, we're seeing we're seeing interesting things. Lots and Co, that speciality retailer, up to three different shops. I saw a new one in Terranure there recently. So we're seeing growth at one end on, on, on that end. And, and then the, the discounters... Uh, at the other end, but to be honest with you, if you looked at, at a discounter in Ireland and you maybe looked at the same discounter in the UK, you would see a different retailer. The discounters here, um, part of the offer is to bring unusual and different products. Mm. And, you know, it's not just all about cheap and cheerful. Mm. Um, both of the discounters have their uh, artisan producer programs yeah. and schemes um, because they want to be associated with that and they want to be associated with a hundred other things if you go on their websites and some of them are linked to the sports clubs and their sponsoring and mm. uh, all of that so i think the the uh, discounters here and um, while they focus on the value area uh, also are very conscious of offering uh, you know a different and a more exciting uh, offer and, and i can tell you mm. From decades, when I was back in my Superman day, you know, there were there are products now that you would walk into um, an Aldi or Lidl and see them selling by the pallet load. And I can tell you, and Superman was that premium retailer, we would be looking to sell 10 cases. So what they have developed also, the Aldis and the Lidl's, is this ability to say, sure, look, the customer saying, I'll give it a try. It's something new. So there is an element of you're being presented with something new in the either the food area or indeed the non-food area um, that uh, it makes it accessible uh, as, as part of that. And, um, you know, across the, the other retailers, then you've, you've uh, the, the super value, first of all, and, and uh, they did extraordinarily well you know, during the pandemic times. They, they had uh, traded extremely uh, strongly, particularly in the early stages of pandemics, locally based customers were told to stay local. They did a lot on the, their delivery system, you know, kicked into place uh, very quickly. And they grew uh, strong market share um, over that 24-month uh, mm. uh, period. Um, and then Tesco, we've had that announcement recently, although it, it's it's under, uh, it's still to be approved, but that announcement that they were buying Joyce's in the west of Ireland, okay, yeah. uh, and uh, while that deal can't go through until it gets uh, full uh, approval, and that approval has uh, research has been extended, so there's no decision pending on that yet. Okay. Um, and then you have the, the the symbol retailers, which I think have all upped their their game. The Spar, the Londis, the Mace, the Centra. If you picture the majority of those at local area, indeed your Daybreaks uh, and cost cutters and stuff. They've almost all undergone revamps and refreshes. Some of them have done poorly 
um, during the pandemic. Those that were in city centres, you know, where there would have been heavy office, populations. Office workers and stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. Exactly. And in fact, now that you mention office workers and the food service side, you know, that is an area that I think is probably transformed for good and is not mm-hmm. going back. Um, you know, the, many of the, the, the companies that would have come in, these food service operators and operated the restaurant and restaurant was the word. Darren to mention canteen because it's far from that that it was. Um, you know, many of those companies are now building new models. Um, there might have been a full restaurant in the past. Now there might be, and I've seen this, a, coffee, a little cup, more of a coffee shop now and, and a retail shop that they have put in within and you can go down and you can get your ready meal and put it in a microwave or you can get your soup and stuff because they can't justify because probably not everyone is going back. I spoke to somebody last week. I was amazed at this. I spoke to somebody last week and I was saying, now, when are you going back? And she said, oh, I won't be going back. I said at all. And she said, well, I only have to do 5% of my time in the office. That's not true everywhere. Most mm. people you hear, you hear of three days in and two days out, but nonetheless, it's changed enormously. And some of those food service operators are now reinventing and reinventing new models. And I would suggest that we will see some of the Sodexo, Compass, Aramark um, out on the high street. Aramark are already there with Avoca. They bought Avoca. But I think we will see the other ones following suit. Um, Sodexo in the UK or have been for a long time in the high street with cafes and restaurants and stuff. It's just an extension of what they have been doing behind closed doors in the in the in the workplace. Um we would have a lot of new and up and coming food members who are just starting out on their journeys. Um, you know, that would be one to two years in business maybe. What advice would you have for them given all of the changes that have happened over the last number of years? Well for somebody coming in, we'll break it into two answers. For somebody coming in new I think it is the, the, the research part. Now, by its nature, food producers are passionate. And sometimes that passion can cause a problem in that they, somebody can rush out, uh, out of excitement, out into the marketplace, and they suddenly realize 24 months later, uh-oh, this category is really, really crowded. I should have seen this on day one because it was all evident that it was there. So there's only one word of advice for those that are new and it is to do the research. And when you have the research done, do more research. And there are now so many supports from the likes of local enterprise office. Local enterprise office Mm. is the go-to for anybody starting a food business and you will be directed from there onto all those courses that are available. There were never so many courses uh, available so that's the, the simple message that for producers that are that are there um a little longer i i suppose a piece of key advice would be we'll say they're supplying into the retail sector mm. it is really to understand the category that you're supplying into and and those like think a buyer for example you go to see a buyer buyer is very interested in my product but actually the buyer is paid by the category performance mm. and and how is that so per se yes they're interested in your product but actually what they're interested in is what will your product do for the category now if you go to that meeting and you don't understand the category and you don't understand what's moving in it and what's not moving in it and where the gaps are just because you have a lovely tasting product that you love does not get you over the line 
you have to talk category language. You have to, here's the ultimate selling to a buyer. If you can persuade the buyer to say, I've had a look at your category. I've studied some research I got from Board B about where the category is going. You're Mr. or Mrs. Retailer, you're missing an opportunity. And I have that product for that opportunity. This is going to bring new customers into the category. And uh, that, uh, is, is, that's really where the, the, the magic is. If you, can, if you can have that conversation, you're almost guaranteed a listing. Because remember, and I'm always reminding people of this, to take your product in, the buyer has to throw something else out. Yeah. There is no other solution. The shelves are not. Shelves are not. There's no empty shelves. There's no empty shelves. Yeah, exactly. Great. Great. So it's an act of empathy, really. That's what that is. It's understanding where that, how that buyer is thinking, what they need to do, and then you're kind of giving them that information on a plate. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's that magic one of being able to say you're missing an opportunity. Mm. I have done all the research. Here is where the consumer is going. This will bring new customers to the category. That's the one that gets the listing. Speaking their language. language. Now, there's a third dimension to answering that question, which is to say, in food service, the changes that have come about, uh, labor costs, kitchen de-skilling, not being able to get chefs, has played into the hands of some producers, and I've seen some producers, are now doing the work of the restaurant or hotel kitchen in their premises and they're sending the product in at a far greater stage of preparedness. So that's an interesting one for producers listening to this to say, hang on a minute, is there a role I could play for the hotel or the restaurant? Like I, I was talking to a producer two weeks ago who was in the mixed, beautiful, beautiful desserts, got a call from a well-known hotel to say, can you produce the following? I have no pastry chefs can't get them could you produce the following we'll finish them off so you bring them to 90 percent we'll put our own little signature uh decoration and so on on them but you can see you can see the need there Uh, and that's that's a definite trend where the food service operators some of them are are needing the producer outside in a more controlled factory or food environment to be able to do some of the work that might traditionally have been done in the in the, in the kitchen at the back of the restaurant yeah yeah it's really interesting gap, isn't it and an opportunity there for food producers because i think that's the one area that food producers often forget about is um supplying into restaurants and hotels they think exactly. retail and they think farmer's market or they think online but they're not thinking about their local hotel and yeah and and, and anybody that has an interest in food service up online Borbia have phenomenal they have a, a department that just looks after producers that are taking a product into the food service sector they had a, a quick lunch and learn there last week on consumer trends within that they're all up online video recordings and stuff so if you want to immerse into that food service sector um, there's good uh, Borbia information very different dynamics um you know and and probably one way to annoy someone in a food service sector or a chef or somebody is to bring them the retail product, um, you know, because it, it, it proves that you don't understand the sector. Mm, yeah. Do your research. If it involves you, this is good advice. You'll enjoy this. If it involves you going in and sitting in the front end and having a meal in the restaurant or the cafe so that you fully understand what they're doing. Uh, maybe if it's part of a chain, talk to the manager or the chef on that site. I'm going to meet your buyer next week. So that when you get to that buyer, 
you have a real deep understanding uh, of what they're doing. And um, because they, the buyers are, are not tolerant of, of, you get one strike, you know, one strike and you're out, uh, you get one chance at the opportunity. But yeah. what I am seeing many, many people, the food service sector is going to be slow to come back. You know, it'll take another couple of years. The good news is that some parts of it are romping back quicker than others. Um, and um, it's all of that is contained in that board B information. I think people are desperate to get out. You see that everywhere you go now. People are mad to get out and get away on holidays and get out and yeah, have a meal yeah. or whatever. Um, maybe if if there's there's another actually just going back a little bit. Uh, another thing that we hear from members a lot is this kind of two year mark. So maybe they're a few producers that's supplying into retail. You know they've they've developed a product. They have their packaging. To trying to get from that maybe they're they're uh, supplying into one or two re- local shops and trying to then go and scale up is a point at which people get a little bit lost I think and trying mm. to get the the distribution channels and figure all of that thing those things out so would you have any advice for anyone around that stage that's that's you know they've they've gotten going they have their product but they're trying to just grow and and scale up a little bit yeah and and I think first piece of advice is to say, you know, what is the objective? Mm. Um, some people don't want to scale, and that's fully understandable. And we absolutely need small and micro businesses in every community, in every county, particularly for, you know, those wonderful artisan and different products by region. And provided that meets the objective of that producer, then wonderful. For others, they say, no, I have to scale up. This has to pay the mortgage. This has to pay the salary. And I'd love to build it and sell it or do whatever with it in years to come. Um, I think that's the first and foremost is to be for the owner to be clear in their mind to say, what's all this about? What, what do I need out of this? I think in terms of scaling up, there are plethora of supports that are now in place. Again, for businesses we're talking about, probably via local enterprise office or maybe Enterprise Ireland. And I'm talking here, I'm talking about lean manufacturing where experts will come and work with the business to say, now, are you as efficient as you could be? Because when you start off, you might start off in the kitchen and, and lean is the last thing you're thinking of. But as you grow, of course, there's pressure on you to be lean or you won't be profitable. Um, so lean lean would be one thing. And um, there are green experts now for business. We talked about sustainability earlier. There are, are experts that will come in your business and say, look, there's five changes you could make here that will help with your green credentials. And uh, that's uh, part of the, 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 the model as well. And, and, the people like Enterprise Ireland and local enterprise office will have teams of mentors to work with companies. I, I was giving a talk there recently on scaling up and, and people see scaling up sometimes as uh, just the physical thing. You know, I, I need to make the building bigger. I need a bigger oven or whatever. But actually scaling up obviously involves the finances and the funding, but it involves the owner's skill set. And, and, and do you need to scale up your own skills where are you lacking skills what about the team do you need to expand on the skills that your team have you might have good people but maybe they don't have the right skill sets so scaling up is a kind of a tricky business and the 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 language i was using was there's a kind of a there's a lovely infographic that shows somebody running over hot coal you know to get out the far side beyond the coal and there is this hot coals piece that a lot of businesses go through where it's kind of white knuckle to get through this rocky piece uh that is there 
but it's about having a plan, having a roadmap, having a business plan, and then leveraging all of the supports that's there from the various agencies. Mm, and there are so many available from the yeah. OEOs, everything from marketing and uh, your business plan and PR, all kinds of things. For somebody on their for somebody on their own in a business or you know on their own with a couple of staff, I mean, you know, you could you could you could it could be very isolating. But you have it. You have a management team at your disposal mm. via your local enterprise office. You have social media mentors, marketing mentors, finance mentors, you know, lean mentors, green mentors. You know why why be alone when you can ring up and request a session with these people? It's, you're, it's a temporary expansion of your management team as such, uh, without having to pay the rates. Uh, for yeah, them all. absolutely absolutely and the uh, fantastic people as well like really high quality, high quality. Uh, training and mentors mentoring the other thing to mention i suppose there is all the food families in ireland like we've had great reports about you know the tipperary food producers or the wexford food family and these groups of food producers that come together and uh, are able to give each other advice on when they get stuck on different things and networking is Networking is is absolutely crucial, and it is uh, Dublin Food Chain is the biggest network in Ireland, and it's a business to business network. It doesn't get involved in consumer activities, but so often I have heard members of Dublin Food Chain saying, "When we had physical events, certainly, listen, I was at that event. I happened to be having a coffee beside somebody when we were starting off. It turned out it was the owner of Retailer X." Mm. And I'm now listed there because I had the confidence to go to them afterwards. So, yes, there's that informal stuff of the networking. And then there's the formal stuff where you do the producer showcase or, you know, all of that stuff as well. But networking, if you have a network in your area and you might be a member, but you mightn't be active, I'd be saying get involved. The collective power is enormous. Absolutely. And we heard the same thing from Fallon last week, Fallon Moore of Bloss said the same thing people get in the queue for coffee and end up talking to you know the the buyer for duns or tesco or wherever um so definitely something to keep in mind there james if people are listening today and they want to get in touch with you they they're looking for some advice or you know uh so consulting or um whatever it is how are they able to get in touch with you and uh, james burke and associates yeah, very easy. Just get on to um, jamesburke.ie on the website and there's a contact button there that will get a message through to us. So jamesburke.ie and uh, that will get through to us. We're always happy to talk to somebody and point them in the right direction, uh, give some advice if we can. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today, James. Brilliant. And thanks for the opportunity. Thank you to our contributor today, to James Burke of James Burke and Associates. Today's episode of Scan Talk by GS1 Ireland was presented and produced by me, Fanil Malone. You can subscribe to Scan Talk by GS1 Ireland on Apple, Google, Acast, Spotify, or on our website, gs1ie.org forward slash podcast. Talk to you next time.